The portion in the book of James that I've come to this morning is found in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. And I've titled it, The Prayer of Faith. And um, it, it is ultimately about prayer. And we have, uh, have been praying for a pastor, and God has answered in, in that way, uh, in so many ways there. And in this portion of Scripture, James is um, more so specifically speaking about praying for the sick, praying for the, uh, the suffering, and praying for one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. So that's where we're at. We're at James chapter 5, verses, from verses 13 to 18. So let's just um, read, the, read that portion of Scripture. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call on the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This has been a hard study, and and I trust that God has helped me to come to the truth of this portion in James. And uh, I want to really thank Pastor Mike. He has helped me this week. He has shared resources with me, and we have talked about this passage together. And uh, he has been a great help. And so to help us get in the right mindset, um, or to understand the context here, we, are, we want to look at a little bit of history again um, of the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. So and if we remember, that is how James starts his letter to the to the churches in James chapter 1, verse 1, he says, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And so what does it mean to be scattered abroad? James is coming um, to a close of this letter. Um, the 12 churches that are scattered abroad, a letter, it was a letter to Jewish Christians that were scattered due to persecution of the Christian Jews at that time. And so some believe the reason for this for these tribes to be scattered was due to the death of, of Stephen, as we can read about in Acts chapter 7. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, um, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles seem to stay there. Um, but then when we read... Um, we read that the death scattered the Jews as well, but the date of Stephen's death is believed to be between A.D. 31 and 34. A little bit further, uh, King Herod Agrippa was king from A.D. 37 to A.D. 44, and he, according to Acts chapter 12, also persecuted the Jews, the Jewish Christians, I should say, because it brought him favor with the religious Jews. And... Um, so, and he was the one, King Agrippa was, Herod Agrippa was the first of the apostles, he had, he got the first of the apostles martyred, which was uh, in Acts chapter 12, when he had James, the brother of John, killed by a sword. And so this was also 
a very hard time for the quick Christians there, and um, this would have caused them to flee as well. And this account would make more sense um, with what James was writing since James was written between A.D. 44 and 49, so it would have been written during, during that time, maybe more so. Either way, the Christians were living in very hard times. They were always in danger of being killed or persecuted in some way for their faith. And as we read through this letter of James, we see the, uh, the attempt by James to bring encouragement to them, to these uh, persecuted believers. And he wants to help them in their times of trouble and hardships. He is pointing them to Jesus as they are struggling. He's calling them to count it all joy, continue to love God, stay true to God's word, be doers and not hearers only. Don't show personal favoritism. Control your tongue. Be wise and discerning in regards to your wisdom. Don't be prideful. Remain humble. Don't speak evil of one another. Don't take your days for granted. Be patient. Be preserving, especially when you are being oppressed. And then here in chapter 5, he's taught, he talks about the rich oppressing the poor. And so these believers were on the run. They were uh, running, so to speak, and away from their homes which was Jerusalem. They wanted to, they were being physically abused. Um, healthcare would have been a requirement uh, that they needed on a continual basis for their wounds. And so their spiritual walks were under constant attack and it would have been very difficult uh, time for them. And I think it's safe to say that us here in La Crete um, have never experienced this type of uh, persecution on behalf of our faith. But we have experienced hardships, and I don't want to downplay that. We are, we all experience hardships, and we go through difficult times, and we all have trials, times of stress, and we, when we need help, and we need the comfort that only God can bring us. So we will, um, we will all experience times when we have specific needs that need to be met. And James has a very simple answer in a sense, to what believers are to do in any case. And that is his call to pray. And as we read through this section, I believe we will see the direct call to pray. And when we think of what James has all said to this point, it would, be, it would seem fitting that uh, as he's closing his, starting to close his letter here, that he would call them to a constant state of prayer, understanding that we are in the hands of God, the God who holds the universe in his hands, the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, including us. And the God who cares for us, he knows who we are, and he knows the hair on our heads, and he cares for us. And so that is kind of where we're at. And so then we come to verse 13, and he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So it says, no matter the circumstances, that Christians are commanded to pray. If we are suffering or cheerful, we are to pray. Of course, our prayers would be different in each circumstance. We would seek comfort when God, when, from God when we are suffering. And our natural response would be to be cheerful, and we would sing psalms to God when we are cheerful. And it would be an outflowing of our hearts that are influenced by the Holy Spirit that is within us. So the commentary that Pastor Mike shared with me was uh, RVG Tasker. So I hope I got that right. But Tasker says this, 
The habit of prayer should be, and indeed is, one of the most obvious features which differentiates a Christian from other people. He knows that his Heavenly Father extends to him a standing invitation to draw near to himself with no experience of joy or sorrow and no conditions of prosperity or adversity have any power to cancel. The shed blood of Jesus has opened up for him a way of direct access into the divine presence, and that way is never barred. So we have a constant um, opening. It is never separated for the believer to come to Jesus or to God in prayer. And I really believe that is the ultimate call of this portion of Scripture that James has for the Jewish Christians here. He is calling the Christians to pray, no matter what they are experiencing, if they're good or bad, in all circumstances. And we believe in a sovereign God who is in control of all things. We believe Romans 8.28, where it says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And this is God, and He has made a way for us to be in constant and open communication with Him. It is a true privilege that we have, and this is only through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. When He yielded up His Spirit, the curtain that was torn between God's people and the holies of holies was torn completely. From top to bottom, we have full access to God as believers. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. Again, we have a privilege as believers that is to be desired by the world or by others. No other person has this true honor but a child of the one true God who can only come, and it can only come through the death and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so here James, he is asking these persecuted Christians, is anyone among you suffering from trials and persecution? Are you suffering? Suffering here is the same word that Paul used in 2 Timothy 2 verse 9 when he describes his imprisonment as suffering trouble as an evildoer or a criminal. That is the same type of suffering. He was treated badly. He was put in jail without cause, and it caused him to suffer. That what James, and that is what James was saying here. If you are suffering, if you are being treated, if you are being treated badly, unfairly, as we as we know just from the prior section in in James verse five, the, the rich were oppressing the poor. If you're being treated unfairly, he says, then pray, pray, pray to God for comfort and strength to endure. Don't fight back. We never read of of Paul fighting back. He always endured what he was going through for the sake of the gospel. Yes, he spoke the truth, and he but he never attacked for the purpose of revenge, only for the sake of the gospel. And when they were shipwrecked on their way to Rome as a prisoner, he did not. He could have escaped. He could have. He could have. There would have been opportunities for Paul to to physically fight back or to physically run, and uh, he chose not to. James uses the same word in chapter 5, verse 10, a little ways, a little bit back, and he says, Take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. In chapter 1, he called the believers to count it all joy when you fall into trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and he also called them there to ask for wisdom if you lack it, and God will provide. 
Suffering for the sake of the gospel should cause us to pray. Jesus himself is a perfect example of this kind of suffering and agony, as it says in Luke 22, verse 44, when he was sweating drops of blood as he prayed even more earnestly. Again, Tasker says, Prayer may not remove the affliction, but it is most it most certainly can transform it. It may not remove the affliction, but it most certainly can transform it. Is anyone among you cheerful? He is to sing psalms. He's not referring to the literal singing of the psalms of David, but more so singing psalms refers to an emotional outpouring of your heart in a state of worship. The Greek word used here means to play a stringed instrument or to make melody. In Ephesians 5.19, Paul uses that same word. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we just sense a real sense of worship to God. When you are cheerful, praise and worship God with your heart. I think we can all relate to that, or I trust and I hope we can all relate to that at some point in our Christian walk where we have been able to just truly worship God with a cheerful heart, um, singing psalms, making melody in our heart. It is a beautiful uh, outpouring of your emotions to God and, uh, and thanking Him and praising Him for who He is and what He has done. And how great would it be if we just always got to be like that? If, if that was the constant state that we could in, be in for the rest of this world. But sin has, but the sin-stained world keeps us from that. There will come a day when we can do that. When we can have a pure heart of worship that is uninterrupted by trouble and strife. As we will kneel in the presence of our God and we will be able to worship Him like that. What a day that will be. When my Savior, I shall see. So suffering or cheerful, we as believers have a responsibility and a command to pray. And if there is ever a time when prayer becomes too difficult, James continues in verse 14, he says, If anyone among you is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they must pray over him. And if this was the end of the verse, I believe it would be a lot less difficult to try and explain or wrap our head around there. But, it's not the end. He continues with anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I trust and I hope, pray that I will be able to uh, help you to understand um, this portion of Scripture as the Lord has even helped me and opened my eyes to some truths here this, this past week. He says, um, anointing, this anointing with oil is used in, in a few different ways throughout Scripture. It was used as a ceremonial anointing when lepers were being cleansed uh, in Leviticus 14. Also in Mark chapter 6, verse, verse 13, we read of the apostles who had been given power by God to go out and cast out demons and heal the sick, who they anointed with oil and healed them. Oil was a source of medicine. It, it was often used for medical purposes. Even to this very day, oil is being used for medical purposes. Just yesterday, as I was reading, uh, I always flip through the news uh, on my iPhone, and I came across an article that said, um, that talked about the big business that essential oils is and um, in the whole world. It said in 2018, the essential oil market was a $7 billion market, and it was expected to double by 2026. 
And so the, the whole article was not so much about the oils, but it was an article about the trees from where this oil is taken or from where the sap is removed from these trees in order to produce these oils. And uh, so what happens is they cut the tree, they put a cut in it, and the tree produces a sap that covers that cut in order to heal it. And so they, they extract that sap from the tree and they refine it and come make oils, I guess. And so oil is, um, and that same concept is applied with oils, and, and especially in those days, uh, oil was used for healing. Oil was commonly used as a medicine for any types of physical sickness. Um, not exactly sure to what extent these Jewish believers um, would have had access to these oils as they were scattered abroad and running for their lives. So I don't know if they had access or if it was something that maybe just a few had, but it says um, it may not have been readily, readily available to, to all of them. So some say it is more of a, this anointing with oil that he speaks of here is more of a ceremonial anointing, um, more of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, by the prayers of these righteous men. But it is likely that if it had been a spiritual outpouring, James would have used this type of language instead of using uh, the physical aspect of oil. He would have said, anointing them with the Spirit, but instead he said, with oil. And so in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verse 34, the Good Samaritan uh, comes to this man that's lying on the side of the road who was stripped, he was beaten, he was left half dead, as we know, and then the good Samaritan came, and he bandaged up his wounds, and it says he was pouring oil and wine on them. Uh, so we have a clear example there of oil that is being used as a medicine or as a healing agent to help heal wounds. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 13. Again, it says, They went out and anointed many who were sick, but in other places it was not given as a necessary part of the healings um, that were done by the apostles. For instance, Mark 16, verse 18, he says to the apostles, lay hands on the, he- on the sick and heal them, and there's no mention of anointing them with oil in that part. So it wasn't a necessary um, part of, of the apostles' gift to go out and heal the sick. Jesus also used different things to heal people. For instance, he made mud um, from from clay and water, and he rubbed it on a blind man's eyes in order to restore his sight. Was it the mud that healed his eyes, or was it Jesus who healed him? And I don't think we would con- even consider the fact that the mud had anything to do with it. It was God working through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it seems that James is saying the same thing here. It was obviously that something they did in those days oil was a part of uh, of who they were of what they of what they used and um when we continue in in the next verse in verse 15 we see it is the prayer of the faith to the lord that will heal and restore um so we'll continue and i hope we can get some more clarity here as we keep going verse 15 the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. And so it is important to know that there is no prayer that does not require faith. Prayer requires faith. Tasker says here again, there can be no Christian prayer at all without faith, nor does this, very, does this verse imply that if only there is sufficient degree of faith, prayer will be answered. 
Um, this is a common threat, as we know, by, uh, from religious leaders or health and wealth prosperity preachers to try and get believers to feel defeated. Uh, hand over more money because their prayers are not being answered simply because they do not have enough faith. If only you had more faith, then God would answer. Or if only you had faith, then God would make sure to heal your sick loved ones or whatever the case may be. But rather, this scripture helps us to understand that there is never a time when believers, as believers, we do not have enough faith. We do, we always have faith. As believers in Jesus Christ, we always have faith to pray. We may not have the physical strength. We may be weak, but we will always have faith. The dying thief next to Jesus, he had faith when he said, just, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew he was getting what he deserved. He was deserving of the punishment he was getting. But he had faith to believe that Jesus could and would save him. And it is very interesting to note here that the Greek word for sick used in verse 14 when he says, is anyone among you sick? To the word, the sick, the word sick that is used in verse 15, um, is, are two different words. They have actually a completely different meaning um, in the Greek context. So the Greek word in verse 14 is um, asthen, asthenil, which means to be diseased. Yeah, I know I'm not fluent in Greek, so don't judge me. <clears throat> it, but it literally means to be diseased. So there is a, an element of being sick. And then in verse 15, the Greek word is kamno, which means to tire, faint, or to be wearied. To be wearied. And so I believe this has huge implications into understanding this text. And um, so I don't understand Greek language, so that's why I refer back to people who I trust do. And so according to, again, Tasker, this word is found, uh, the, the word... Um, for sick, this camno in verse 15 is found nowhere else in the New Testament. But he says it is a present participle, participle of a verb whose primary meaning is to grow weary. So the primary meaning is to grow weary. Um, but the secondary sense of the meaning of this word is to grow weary by reason of sickness. So to grow weary by reason of sickness. So in my language, and hopefully you can understand my language better, it's just mean, it, this, it says someone who is tired and weary because of physical sickness. Someone who is physically sick becomes tired and weary, and they become sick in that sense. And I believe we can relate to that. I have yet to meet anyone who is going through a physical illness that does not go through times of weariness. And so let's just read that again. The prayer offered... And faith will restore the one who is sick. It will restore the one who is weary because he is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. It will restore the one who is weary because he is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. How often are we not encouraged by the ones that are sick? When we go and visit people who are sick and we try to go there, we go there with the best of intentions to try and encourage someone. And yet how often do we come away feeling blessed and feeling encouraged? And I believe um, very often it is because those people are being upheld in prayer. And so often those people are the ones that are encouraging to others. 
And we know that it is not always God's will to heal the physical sick person. We even, we even know that God will use sickness and suffering as a means to draw people closer to himself. A young man from the uh, Austin area sent me a quote on Friday morning. I got a, a, a message from him. And it was a quote by John MacArthur. And it says, when you go through the sufferings of life, God has a purpose. His purpose is to manifest the character of your spiritual life. It is to humble you. And it is also to draw you into an intimacy of his glorious presence. This is a great quote. And not knowing who Derek Braun is, that's the young man's name, um, it wouldn't be anything very special to that. Derek Braun, um, they just started attending that church in Austin just before we left, so we never got a chance to personally know him very well. But I know he was, even as a young single man, he was very uh, on fire for God, and he desired to, to know the truth. Some of you may have met him last year when we went to G3. He was there. Um, I don't know if you remember him. He was a red-headed uh, fellow with those guys from Austin there that I talked to. I don't know if you remember, but he was there. Um, this past summer, he was working as a carpenter, and he fell off a roof, and he broke his back. He is paralyzed from the waist down. He has a young family. I'm not exactly sure how many children he has, but I, I believe their baby was just born this past summer, and he's, the baby is less than a year old. There are times in life when we may need to ask for prayers from others because we may grow too weary to pray. And, and when I think of Derek, I am so blessed by all the reports I've gotten. I, I wish I could have, when we were in Manitoba just in December or November now, my mom told us that Saturday morning as we were getting ready to leave that he was in, still in the hospital in Winnipeg and I, was, uh, I wasn't able to go see him. But I, ho- I trust I'll be able to see him maybe the next time we go. But um, from what mom was saying to all the reports that were coming back, he was the most positive person in all of this. As people were grieving and, and hurting, he was the one that was encouraging others. And he was the one that sent me this text Friday. I hadn't talked to him. Well, I, I messaged him in November after we got back. I reached out to him just to try and encourage him. And I hadn't talked to him since. And just it happened to be this Friday morning that he sent me this this message. So he seems to be growing in his faith. He's trusting God. He's, he's relying fully on, on God through all of this, and um, he's remaining spiritually strong. And so the reason for sharing it is, is simply that God will heal the sick. He will heal the sick when we understand what James is saying here. God will not always physically heal the sick, but he will lift up the man who is weary, the man who is sick, who is weary, who is tired, he will lift him up and he will make him to stand on his two feet. And so we believe that God works all things according to his will as found in Ephesians 1.11. And that even includes suffering in our lives at times. First Peter 2.21 says, For we have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, he is leaving you an example leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. God will lift up the man or the woman who is weary, and he will make them to stand, even when it may not be on his physical two feet. Spiritually, he will stand. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. 
it says. So it's important to notice here, he says, if. There's an if there. Um, it is not always... It is not always that our sin, that our suffering comes because we have sinned. But there are times of suffering that do come because of our sin. And actually we can say that all suffering is a result of sin, ultimately. But sometimes our weariness or our spiritual hardships are directly due to some sin in our lives. 1 Peter 4.15 says, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. Sin brings about suffering. Or it sure can. Sin can bring it about. This suffering can be for the purpose of bringing us back into a right relationship with God, maybe. It can be, um, or living in sin can be a wedge between the believer and Christ. We cannot make melody in our heart when we are living in sin, and we know so. It will bring about suffering. Jesus has promised that we will suffer in this world, but here Peter says that you will suffer, but don't suffer because of sin. Don't let sin be the reason that you are suffering. And he goes on in in, uh, in 1 Peter 4 verse 19, he says, Therefore, those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to the faithful creator and doing what is right. So if we are suffering because of the gospel, it is for our good. Again, James said that in verse in chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials because it produces patience. It is good for us to grow in our wisdom and our knowledge. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, to those who are sinning by taking communion in an unworthy manner, he said, for this reason many are weak, Many are sick among you and many sleep. And so if our weariness is due to suffering on account of the gospel, Christ will lift us up. If we are asking for prayer because we are suffering due to our sins, we will then also be confessing our sins because we will recognize that it is a sin in our lives that is um, causing us to suffer. And God will forgive us and we will be forgiven those sins and be spiritually standing on two feet again. And I believe this is a big problem amongst Christians in general today. We are not willing to admit our sins or to humbly ask for prayer from the elders of the church or even from each other. And as we read on, we see it's not just from the elders. He says in verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So James is not saying here that we are to every time we sin that we need to confess our sins to one another. It doesn't mean we need to dump our load of sins on, every, on each other every single time we, we do something. This is not a requirement of our sins. As we know, we, if we sin against someone, yes, we need to repent and uh, seek forgiveness. Um, James here starts with therefore. And so we need to understand that the therefore, at the start of verse 16, is for the purpose of healing the spiritual sick. For the purpose of healing, so he says, confess your sins to one another. When you are suffering because of the sin, then he says, confess to one another for the sake of becoming strong again. We need each other uh, in the family of Christ. It is accountability. We believe in accountability. It is how we grow. It is how we keep each other um, from hopefully suffering because of sin. 
And then the second part of verse 16, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And so we need to keep in mind that throughout this whole portion of Scripture, James's call to prayer. This is ultimately what James is calling the believers to do. Who is the righteous man who can pray this effective prayer? Who can? Who is the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much? Who is this righteous man? We all know Romans 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not even one. Um, so who is righteous enough to pray? Romans 4, 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was created to him, credited to him as righteousness. Now to him who works, his wage is not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God in Jesus. Can you believe that? Do you believe that? This is an incredible, an incredible thing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God in Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, he became sin on our behalf so that we can become righteous. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Brothers and sisters, this is us. This is each and every person who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are to pray for one another. We are to pray in faith. James says in chapter 1, when we pray, we are to pray in faith without doubting. He says, anyone who prays with doubt is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. When we pray, we are to fully trust God with the outcome. This is, remember how Jesus taught us to pray. He said, he said to pray, thy will be done. We are to seek his will by seeking him. Seeking him from his word, from understanding more of every day what his will is. The more we know him, the more we will understand his will. And as an example of a man who can accomplish much by praying, James points us to Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly and it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. I don't think the point is that it didn't rain for three and a half years and then it did again. The point is he was a righteous man and he prayed faithfully. The point is Elijah was like you and I. He had a nature like ours. Before he was born again or before God chose him, he had a nature like ours. That's who he was. And that we are in Christ the same as Elijah. And, and we are to pray in faith and not with a double mind. 
And so again, I just stress that this passage is simply a call to prayer. Um, In our statement of faith here at Grace um, Bible Fellowship, we agree that no one possesses the gifts of healing today as the apostles did, but we believe that God does hear and answer our prayer of faith and will answer in accordance to his own perfect will for the sick, the suffering, and the afflicted. And I'll just read First John 5, 13 to 15. And, and our statement of faith, if you look at it, you'll find there's many scriptures there, but I just chose to read this one. Um, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence with which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. We know, sorry, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So he's saying, we know that if God hears us and if he's answering our prayers, we know that those requests have been given to us by him as believers. And so we trust and have faith in that, that our requests are from him. So in conclusion, when we are sick, James says we have a responsibility to call on the elders of the church to pray over us. Over us. It is important to note here that the responsibility falls on the believer. They are to call on the elders. It goes with what James said in chapter 1 again when he told his readers to call um, on God when they lack wisdom and understand God's will in their trials. It shows our humility and our willingness to ask for help. And it is so often our pride that keeps us from reaching out to one another and being open and honest with our struggles and our hardships. And then even in verse 16 we see this openness that is to be between believers. He says, confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another so that you may be healed. How often does our pride keep us from doing this? The church is the body, and we all are a part of that body, and we need one another. And we are to pray for ourselves and for each other. We are to pray for wisdom when we can't understand the will of God in our trials, according to chapter 1. And here, when we are suffering the effects of real persecution, we are to pray as well. When we are cheerful, we are to pray with praises and make to God and making melody in our hearts towards God. When we are sick, we are to call on the elders of the church to pray over us, anointing us with oil, seeking every medical resource available to us like the oil was to them when James was writing this. Understanding that if God heals whether by praying of the elders or in some, in some miraculous way, or if he chooses to heal us through medicine available to us, we understand that it is God who heals and not the oil or the medicine or some form of prayer that can only be done by some special people who possess enough faith. The, f- the first study Bible that I ever got was a Nelson study Bible, and it says in there that James was prescribing both prayer and medicine in this verse, and I thought that kind of sums it up real good, I think, if I, when I understand uh, what he's talking about. But the sick person who becomes weary and discouraged and finds him or herself in a place where they find it too difficult to cope due to their suffering, then God's word says he will heal the person and help him back up, bring him to a place where they can again wholeheartedly 
worship God, where they can sing psalms, making melody in their hearts towards God, no matter the outcome of their hardships. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we have an almighty God who is in control. It it brings so much comfort knowing that you are in control. And Lord, I pray for those among us who are suffering. I pray for those who are spiritually sick. And I pray for those who are physically sick. God, we pray and trust that your perfect will will be done in each other and in every case. But mostly, God, I pray that we will be strong in our faith. Help us, God, to stand strong in our faith, to find true joy and make sweet-sounding melody in our hearts of worship to you, God. May that reflect how we treat one another, how we conduct ourselves in the community, and how we reach out to the lost with the gospel that you have entrusted to us. Father, we thank you. We just thank you for the gift of the gospel. And we commit this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.